go. Okay, guys, welcome to the first episode of the Hot Pole Podcast. I'm Dr. Jabir Kazi, and I'm joined by Nat Bradley today. Uh, we're at uni together. She's a couple of years above me, uh, and she's doing some great work with homeless dentistry and providing them with a really good service. So, hi, Nat. Hi, great to have me. Brilliant. So we're going to start off just talking a little bit about why you decided to start with dentistry in the first place. What got you interested um, kind of before uni when you were younger? What made you mm-hmm. choose as, as a profession? Um, I uh, first wanted to be a dentist after my dentist told me I needed root canal treatment. And I just admit that uh, live how many people are viewing <laughs> now, how embarrassing. I never actually had root canal treatment done myself, though. So. Um, but uh, he explained to me what the process was and I went up and read about it and I thought oh that looks quite you know sounds quite interesting um, so that kind of inspired me to get some work experience um, at a local dentist and um, he was he was a really nice chap really um, passionate about what he did uh, I went there every week for about a year and um, to experience what went on day to day in his practice and that really inspired me to apply. Uh, I like the mix that um, you're providing healthcare um, to somebody, building up yeah. the relationship with the patients, um, which, you know, through from, you know, when they're children to where, you know, that's what got me initially was I can see people grow up around me and how they develop and I can also do some hands-on treatment. I, at the time, thought there would be nothing worse than sitting in front of an office in the computer office day to day. So in the practical and job really um, inspired me and also when I was younger I thought I wanted to do something science but I don't want to work in yeah. hospital yeah. Uh, yeah. which is ironic now because that's all I work I work in hospital it's funny how things develop and um, that's what really attracted me to the flexibility of where you could work as well and when, when you could work so was that like uh, you kind of kind of similar to a lot of people I think really quite good at sciences and maths and that sort of a thing and then decided oh I don't really like the idea of maybe medicine because I, I thought I don't want to become a GP essentially that's <laughs> that put me off and and then I, I went towards dentistry obviously because I can cut things up and you know, mm, make things look yeah. nice etc. Um, I do you know you diagnose you treat you mm, monitor you can see the outcome of the treatment that you do so yeah definitely. Kind of more of a you get that visual outcome going yeah it looks really mm-hmm. nice now and then Obviously, there's less risk of people dying and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, got this thing quite bad to kill some <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you've got to really screw up. Um, <laughs> what was that kind of first moment that you were like, oh, right, this is definitely for me? Because obviously you have that in, initial, this might be it, but you may be thinking of other things. What kind of other things do you have in mind as well? Um, to be honest, I was on a pretty one-track mind. When I was about 16, I was like, yeah, I want to be a dentist. When I was younger, I used to want to be a vet. Um, I love animals, um, and I used to watch all the programs. You know, Dave Masper, biggest fan. Uh, but I to realise after we picked up a, a cat, a cat on the side of the road from younger, and taking it to the vet, and it had to be put down. I was just drawn for weeks. I don't think I had the the resilience and to be able to deal with like animals dying on me. Um, yeah. And, um, the fact that I'm also allergic to cats was kind of a bit of a bit of a big hurdle as well. Oh, um, so, but dentistry. When when I was shadowing the dentist <laughs> that I um, 
shadow for a long period of time. One week he decided that he set up some teeth for me and some just some plaster and he gave me the drill and was like, this is how you cut a cavity. Um, I went a bit crazy, like the biggest cavities from the other cut, but I was like, this is really fun. I think that um, was the same but, in first year, the, the first week of dental school, they sent us up onto the clinical simulation lab and didn't, and then just handed you everything and said, <laughs> go to town on these teeth they had set up and everyone was just whipping things off the route first and all sorts of <laughs> that. Um, yeah, <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, so so you didn't really go for vets. You've got a rabbit, haven't you? I've got three rabbits, yeah. Three? Right, <laughs> yeah. what are their names? Uh, they are Justice, uh, Goenka and Kiwi. So people think, oh, you should link the names together, like Flopsy, Mopsy and Cottontail. But um, mm. when we got them, I was living with my boyfriend and his younger brother. And so we decided to name one rabbit each. So each one's got a, like a, mine, I've named my Kiwi. Yeah. But I thought that a piece of fruit is a good name for a rabbit. And he's all black. So he's a Kiwi. Yeah, good joke. Um, and then the other two named theirs, one after a yoga retreat. Um, that he. So basically we got the rabbits. Um, as a surprise for my boyfriend, he went away for 10 days on a silent meditation retreat, and then when he came back, we had three Benny Rabbits. So he had to name it after the, the retreat. Did, did he enjoy the surprise, or was he like taking it back? He, he really liked it. We basically, before we went, he floated the idea and we like shot him down saying, ah, oh, it's not a good idea to have rabbits. So we could to look after them, blah, blah, blah. And then one day, so we were like, actually, yeah, we can work this out, let's just get them. And yeah, I'm so glad we got them. Having animals, like having pets, is just. Um, I've never had pet more than a, a goldfish before, so yeah. as you know, I really enjoy coming home to have three fluffy balls there waiting for me. Do you have a pet? Uh, we have one little cat called Zomzom, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone's seen on my Instagram every now and then. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So you probably wouldn't want to come around if you've been allergic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's take some antihistamines. Maybe yeah. your bunny rabbits and your and your cat can be friends. Yeah. Um, so you moved away from the vet side and you obviously went towards dentistry and well obviously you know you go through the a level point where you're thinking right i've got to get these a's and you know did you have a backup option in mind if you if you didn't make it like i was thinking about architecture really randomly but um obviously there's you have you've got to have like a little bit something in the back of your mind if this doesn't go to plan or you one of those is just like it's happening no matter what well at first i was like yeah it's happening i'm i'm definitely gonna get in and then um, three rejections later, I was like, oh, God, I need to think of a, a plan B. So um, on, on a whim, I just put as a backup option of ophthalmology. Mm. Like, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, but, yeah, thankfully, I got it's, it's one. close off. to the teeth, you know. Just a little bit <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Still kind of related. It's another body part. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so how, how have you kind of found it since, from what you thought, you know, when you went into work experience and then actually working as a dentist now, have you found that it was the same as what you expected or different? Obviously, you've moved into a homeless side of things and, you know, community sort of dentistry, which is maybe different to a lot of what a lot of people are doing. Um, mm. Is that kind of what you expected to end up doing or how, how's it been? Um, no, I did not expect to end up where I've ended up. Um, I think most people's perceptions, as again, as a uh, young dental student is, I'm going to be my dentist because most people's experience of dentistry is what they've seen at their dentist or their orthodontist, like how many dentists had also, like most people yeah. have. Um, so um, at Newcastle, we didn't really get much experience of 
community we had outreach but it wasn't really special care in the way that I see special care now um, and it was it's just through my uh, basically where I've ended up that's kind of and the mentors that have had who inspired yeah. me through the way have got, have got me to where I am now but yeah I I am um, I remember doing my first year in practice and thinking like I got to your stage and was like okay I'll do a year in hospital just to see what it's like then I'll go back to practice and um, I haven't been back to practice since it's just uh, you never know what you know what hooks you in and what really interests you and what, and what your skills are and I feel like um, being in a hospital environment or a community environment where you, you see um, I really really enjoy thinking outside the box and in terms yeah. of this patient's got this problem but they've also how do we get them to manage to manage their dental treatment if they've got a learning disability or if they're really really anxious how can I um, adapt the way that I've normally worked so that person can get the treatment they need um, so I like that lateral thinking and problem solving and um, yeah I don't think I'd give that up to go back to day stays of everyday practice kind of more of a holistic approach to things and you've yeah. got to think about how it's going to fit into their life and for some people it's quite a difficult movement to make for them if they're you know learning difficulties and might not be able to hold a brush properly how we're going to manage that sort of thing exactly yeah yeah and they, and actually the dental treatment is just a small part of the picture of this patient and it's not the treatment that really they're grateful for it's the time that you take to listen to them their needs and addressing things what what these they have and what adaptations they may need from just giving them a bit extra time to saying it, being able to treat them in their wheelchair um to be able to offer them some sedation um yeah. and it's just being able to be that problem solver and lateral thinker and the patients are really really grateful so if you've got like a someone who's come in maybe with the homeless side of things what do you find is their main issue outside of the dental thing that's kind of limiting them? Obviously, they need to have a, a, a firm place to live and address and all that sort of a thing. Is that usually the biggest thing for them or is it other things as well? I mean, it really depends. Like, we have a perception of what a homeless person might be or what may look like or what, mm -hmm. they might, what concerns they may have. There's such a big spectrum of homelessness. It could be someone who's literally just got nowhere to sleep and sleeping on the streets. Yeah. It could be someone who's, you know, sleeping on their sister's couch and has been doing that for the past six months because they can't get more and got get the money to get a house deposit because they're on a zero hours contract. So it really, really depends on it. And wouldn't want to paint um, everyone with the same brush. There might be people who um just are in so much pain from their teeth or from other yeah. problems that they are self medicating with drugs and alcohol. Um and that's their that's their motivation is to get their fix so they're no longer in pain or they've got yeah. such severe problems and that's the you know they're so unpredictable and chaotic and their needs change from day to day depending on what their mental health state is that or, or whether they've been able to get a good night's sleep somewhere or been able to get a hot meal so it really yeah. really varies and it's when I treat these patients, it's not. It's just listening to them, being non-judgmental, and being flexible, listening to their needs, yeah. um, and you know, yeah, going on about them about you know you haven't brushed your teeth today, like you know. It's different. To someone who's yeah, it's different to the kind of patients we see in general practice, or where they've got something else which is much bigger, which is the issue. But do you yeah. kind of find that once you sort maybe the pain out, that then the drugs and alcohol drops as well? Because that if that's their clutch, yeah. Definitely. So I've seen people who who've literally they've not been able to access any care because they're in so much pain, yeah. and has made their you know them 
uh, dependent on their drug and alcohol problems be able to self-medicate and function and you, you see something as simple as taking a tooth out for them um, and you see them a few weeks later and they look much well much more well or um, patients who self-esteem is really really low because they are homeless but also it might be because they've got no teeth there's so people with homelessness are much more likely to have missing teeth because we either take them out when they have a problem yeah. that's the only thing we offer them or they're knocked out um when they have trauma from falling when they're drunk or when they get a fight or someone assaults them so um i saw a chap who just needed some new dentures made for him um, and I made him some new dentures in a very you know quite swift manner uh, yeah. to make sure that I could get them to him and then he saw me the following week and he said he got a job as a kitchen porter and he said he would never gone to that interview with his old set of dentures because they were dropping and they didn't look good and then he now had the confidence yeah. and then he had a job and that's the first step to help him get up the cycle of homelessness so, so it's really really important and dentistry is really important for this group of patients yeah I'm sure that a lot of kind of especially foundation dentists in the UK, where we see quite a lot of maybe exempt patients with a lot of things going wrong, um, have maybe a story like you give someone a dentist to fill some anterior gaps and eventually they, you know, when you when they come back for a review, they say, oh, yeah, I went out and bought some new clothes that same day. That kind mm-hmm. of a change in their attitude and how they're living their life and just, you know, showing the teeth at the top instead of sucking over, kind of hiding things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mo- moving like slightly sideways back towards dental school. How did you kind of find Newcastle? Because it's quite a interesting <laughs> student city to kind of be in. Yeah, I loved Newcastle. Um, I kind of got as far away from my parents as possible. We we lived in Dover at the time, <laughs> so no no option to like go home for you know for the weekend or something. But I didn't want to. Um, I loved being independent. I loved Newcastle, such a friendly city. Small enough that you got to know it really well. The university itself, I thought it was a great place to, a great community. Um, The way that events would run, we'd get to know each other. You know, like how we know each other, like from social events, um, from mentoring schemes, everyone would get together and you'd know people in other years to be able to help you um, if you're having, struggling with a particular essay or struggling with the clinical skill how did you, I think that was really useful did you think the same yeah I, I found that with you know the dental school being such a small not well quite a small tight-knit community you know everyone's in the same building you might know people four years above you and they go oh, watch out for this when you get into the clinics and that side of things and those are people you're still talking to now mm-hmm. and they're four years five years ahead of you going do this course do that course don't bother with this one do that one um and similarly with kind of clinicians who taught us I, I still speak to a couple um yeah. and I'll send them cases and ask asking opinions uh Chris O'Connor's a great one for that he, he'll yeah. send you an essay back and a video of how to do something if you really need it um so yeah thanks to him if he's watching <laughs> um yeah. yeah um so yeah Newcastle was a great city to be in certainly as a dental student um mm, yeah. what's kind of your best memories from uni as it was in the dental um, school? Oh, so many. Um, every other Friday night at the Crown and Bridge, that's always a good memory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, just, you know, the events that were put on, like Hustings, I, that was my favourite event um, in Newcastle. So, you know, we are all getting together, voting for the next president, but watching um, the videos. Um, I remember when I had to make 
my when I ran for president and having to make that video, that was probably quite stressful. One of the most stressful parts of actually going to school was making that video. <laughs> especially because I lost half the footage like two weeks after starting to film it that video takes over the entire dental school for about two months everyone's yeah. involved and you don't get any work done there's people going oh do you mind coming across and you know we're just gonna like walk through the park and do this or do that and it's really <laughs> crazy and there's people like hiding behind the columns doing little jazz hands coming out and as someone walks yeah. past um <laughs> Just asking yeah. all the staff and shooters, like, please, will you be in my video? Yeah, please. when you say this slightly, slightly uh, inappropriate remark, and it, w- it won't be bad, I promise. Uh, <laughs> that sort of thing is great. Um, obviously, you've got loads and loads of good memories from uni, but what was kind of the, the low point? <laughs> Don't mind me asking, like, what was your worst point in time? You know, thought, oh, this isn't for me, maybe, or just like, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. Because everyone goes through that, oh, I'm really yeah. loving it, and then they go through, oh, I just can't be bothered. Kind of what what hit you? I think it was um, during second year, like the excitement and buzz from being first year at uni um, to the this transition to being actually second year was a lot of work. I remember, yeah, and it was all work that at the time we don't see the relevance of because it's all like dental materials or uh, what else did we learn? Embryology and histology, and you know, looking back on it, kind of, oh yeah, it kind of makes sense now. Once you start doing the clinical work and the day-to-day stuff that you do, but when you're at that stage at uni, I don't think we a lot of people you really didn't really see the relevance of it. Um, no, yeah, I can't really didn't enjoy that at all. That, yeah, that was an exam that I really struggled to get my uh, motivation to work for, and I, I did retake that one. So that kind of shows. <laughs> um yeah because there was a lot of like embryology and things that you know they're looking at slides going okay this yeah but don't I just like cut this and put crown on it do you know yeah why am I doing this but I suppose when you get to see kind of people who've got more advanced and syndromic sort of issues you can work out where it's come from and at what stage that began uh for even things like MIH you know oh yeah mm-hmm. during six months of pregnancy nine months of pregnancy and then six kind of months after that could have been when it started were they ill at that time that kind of thing um but yeah what's your big tip for someone starting university now then um I think it's just like most of every opportunity that you get through uni um but try and stay a bit grounded as well like um Mm. it's so easy to get in the hype of uni life and this is what I should be doing like I should be spending my summer holidays in Thailand um yeah. or you know whatever it, you know whatever it is the craze or the cult at the time that you're at uni but you don't yeah. always you know that might not be for you it might not even be possible for you but it's fine if you if you, that's not your situation and yeah. um, just take advantage of opportunities that come your way and you will learn something from it I remember my between third and fourth year um, I didn't go home for the summer and um, I stayed in Newcastle by myself in my house I had no money so I had to I worked that whole time during um in summer living by myself yeah um, and where you have a lot of your friends going home or going camping for six weeks um, yeah. whereas I couldn't afford to do that but actually I think I learned a lot during that time just being by myself and living with myself um, and getting a routine and being able to function and look after myself and um, being independent, I think I learned so much. And I think everyone should have the opportunity just to be by themselves for a bit and live by themselves, um, just to be comfortable 
by yourself. Kind of knowing, knowing your own limits, is that kind of where you're going? Like some people are maybe got parents who can fund certain things or they've worked beforehand and they're in a different stage. That's kind of what you're yeah. saying, isn't it? So just to yeah. make sure you don't put yourself out a bit too much. Yeah, exactly. What's, what's your situation? Everyone's different. Yeah. Uh, and on a more in the dental school side of things, what would you be telling dental students to do or not do? What do you I reckon? Mean, get as much clinical experience as possible. Um, I remember, you know, like on oral surgery clinics when uh, the, you've got, you know, all eight of you sitting there and the tutor comes in going, first one's from hip and deck or ABC or everyone from the other who's going to see it? And everyone's like, I don't want to take it. But actually, you know, you are in that, as a student, yes, it's daunting, but you are in yeah. such a sheltered environment. You've got so much support. Imagine being out in, in, you know, in practice, you, you, you know, you have a foundation trainer, you, you know, that you don't have as much support there and um, and all the facilities and equipment and skills that a lot of your tutors have. So just, um, I think, maximise your clinical experience, do extra clinics if you've got time and you have the opportunity to, um, get as many patients in as possible, see as many of those emergencies as you can, try and do as many distractions as, as possible. I mean, yeah. it's the thing that we hear all the time, isn't it? You know, people coming out of dental school without as much experience as what people expect them to have. Yeah. Um, and I think it's different. You know, we can't compare generations twenty years ago to generation qualifying today. Like people don't need full dentures anymore, um, or very small small amount of cohort people do. But if you expose yourself to like consultant clinics, um, shadowing, different experiences in dentistry, so yeah. I think I would have done more like outreach work. I always encourage all students in our special care clinic to go and contact community clinics and go just spend a day shadowing. You learn so much out in kind of. The and outside of the dental hospital as well like the environment of dental hospital is so different to, to practice or yeah community. definitely yeah I, I think that's definitely something people should kind of keep an eye on make maybe make a tally if I go back I'll probably make a excel sheet go I've done this many endos this many caries managements and then just say oh I'm a bit low there do I know enough um mm-hmm. that's probably what I would do because I came out maybe not having done as much caries management as possible my endpoints were a bit spotty to start with and I was like to get a lot of check-in by the supervisor just to say right is this where you would stop is this where you would continue but mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing where you know if you've just been a little bit more on top of it in uni then you might come out with just another extra bit of experience to get you along the way yeah exactly we've got a question from Mudcakes. cakes it's so hard to get extra experience now as year keeps are getting much bigger and resources more scarce so that's definitely an issue also mm. thinking about kind of if you look back in the notes for some of the patients we had in uni and then you go back to like 1890 just and see what they did back then and they put one line as a as a as a note and now we're doing two pages so there's a big difference you you do need to kind of bear that in mind I think yeah and I guess it's, it's different dental schools that will be different you have big big dental schools like King's where you've got so many people in a year it, I agree it's really difficult to get that one-on-one it's like relationship your tutors or be able to get these more and um, more experiences whereas you have some of the other dental schools which are much smaller where you they can really cater to your needs i guess it's just being able to identify them yourself and having that one person who's a good mentor for you yeah. um, and being able to be flexible about how you might gain the experience so maybe not just depending on everything that you get through dental school but reaching out to the community to shadow spending good time in your elective doing different things um, I mean, there's lots of endless opportunities out there as a student. Most people 
um, quite welcoming um, to having someone shadow them. I mean, I certainly am. Yeah, yeah. I suppose there's certain certain people who you just want that extra person in there to chat to whilst we're going along. I know that yeah. uh, during my foundation year when TPD came in, it was great because uh, obviously the patient sat there with the mouth open. I think I had rubber dam on and it's like, oh, I'm quite bored. You know, the nurses, they're just rushing around. It's like, so Mark, what are you doing then? How's things going? You know, it kind of just brightened the day up. So yeah, if you are looking to do dentistry, but definitely just get in touch with people. And there are people out there who will want to see you and kind of show you the way things are going and that mm. kind of thing. Um, what was your big challenge kind of after dental school? Because obviously you've done quite a few different things, kind of dipped your toe in a couple of different ponds, mm. as it were. What was the big challenge, you reckon? Um, I think it's, well, I think the challenge for me has been um, managing a balance between work and, you know, and personal life and your personal goals and your career goals. I'm a very yes person. I will be like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll stand for that role. Or yeah, I'll write an article. Or yeah, I'll do this. Um, but I guess it comes to a point where you're going to have to say no to things because you just don't have, to, you're not superhuman, and you don't have capacity to be able to do everything, as well as your own, without it, in your personal life and your personal goals. Yeah. Um, so I think that's been the challenge for me <clears throat> because being in the city in London and with the connections I've been able to get through my different roles and it's you know there's lots of things going on all the time that you can we can get involved with um it's just prioritizing which ones fit with your personal goals and your, your career goals and actually um will make it so you don't get burnt out um which I think is, you know we hear about much more mental health is a real problem yeah um not just within dentistry and med- medicine and other healthcare professionals generally and we, we need to talk about it more um and I think just what the expectations of what we see on things like social media don't really help us yeah and, um, so we just need to be managing that and recognizing that and reflecting on what stage and what your own mental health is like so I think it's everyone should take that time to be able yeah, to do that definitely yourself. especially yeah there's definitely a big stresses especially in the dental kind of environment if you're working in practice you've got the the UDA pressure if you've taken on a bit too much or you're not quite at that stage and if you're looking at more uh hospital what are kind of the pressures there that you need to be aware of do you think um I think it can sometimes you get involved in the politics of mm. working in institutes um and it's not just within like dentists but you know dental nurses the whole hospital itself and getting frustrated with um you know policies bureaucracy and red tape which can really frustrate you and yeah. anyone who works in the NHS or a big organization or corporate or whatever might get frustrated about seeing how things work and think why is it done that way and the answer usually is oh we've always done it that way um which isn't a good answer um it's just an excuse and I think that it can be really um demoralizing sometimes if you work in a and in, in within a group of people who kind of have that attitude um, so I think it's just you know not, not letting that tarnish what you want to do and how you want to make change and that actually that anyone any member of the team can be innovative and find changes and make um, the difference and to make, make the, the service or wherever you work more efficient and actually have better patient outcomes ultimately. Yeah do you I kind of always think of it myself as like maybe writing things down uh, on a big piece of paper a four piece of paper draw two circles things I could control things I can't and work within that box and then ignore everything else and yeah, that really helps me 
because then I know that I can take photographs of my work and then put it up on the big screen when I get home and go, oh, that's good, that's bad, what should I do next time? Whereas if a patient doesn't turn up, there's nothing I can do about that. I don't need to stress about that. Do you know, there's things that you can and can't control. So I think that's a good maybe tip for other people who are kind of wanting to manage stress. That There's yeah. things you can't control. Get on top of the things you can and kind of leave the rest to other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good tip. Um, if, yeah, so what's your kind of method for improving your kind of quality of your work in that way? What do you reckon? Um, I I think it's time. Well, a lot of um, uh, dentists coming through are very used to reflecting on things. You know, we have a very formal way of uh, reflecting our progress through our portfolios. Um, I don't think anyone has to rely on a specific portfolio to be able to do that. You can do that within your own personal um, your personal space or your personal portfolio. But I think it's important to be able to reflect on what you've done and what could be done better or problems you encounter and how you could how um, you might be able to make a change and learn from an experience or an encounter. Um, having, I think, really a really good person to bounce um, off is really important really good mentor to be able to be like this happened what would you have done what or what could I have done better um, and or even just something simply as that like, I'm really struggling commuting um, how do you manage it what do you do to help um, with your an hour and a half commute every day um, and I think sometimes it's just working out and um, what to do with time that we otherwise spend scrolling through Instagram uh, and yeah. making good use of our time I mean that's fine in moderation but I think it's our also pilot of doing things of what, what do we do if we're slightly bored straight straight onto your device um, and I've been trying to do things like um, make more use of commuting time so that I can you know might just be I read a book um, it might be yep yeah, I'm going to catch up on my social media during my commute and that's it that's all I'm going to do yeah. um, for social media that day um, or I'm going to you know read through my emails before I get to work because then I'm more productive um, but then I know that I'm not going to have a look at my phone an hour, and like within an hour before bed because otherwise that's stressing me out um, but just working out things that really make you more stressed like you say and if you can control a change make that change yeah yeah definitely those good good kind of points to pick up on, on there and especially when you're talking about stress how do you take yourself out of it I know you've got quite a few hobbies you've got the bunnies you've got different things going on what do you kind of what's your biggest kind of uh stress relievers as it were um yeah I, yeah bunny pets animal therapy yeah no that's definitely way forward <laughs> um but i Sometimes you see, you know, I have um, we have this little box um, at home. It's like a time box. I don't know. I think it's designed for people who have, were binging on food or wanted to control their their sugar sweet uh, their sweet tooth habits. But basically, it's a box, and you put a timer on it, and you can't open the box again until that time's finished. Um, so we bought that initially, so we've got our phones in it. And um, right. so they're like going to have two hours, no phone time. And, um, you know, it, it didn't always go to plan. For example, when the Morrison's delivery man was trying to call me and I couldn't answer the phone because it was in the box. But um, it's always quite an fun anecdotal story to tell. Um, but I think it, whatever your, um, what you find to find you to, to not think about work. So um, I've, this year has been um, 
a new change for me for the past few years I've always worked at the weekend yeah. and in September I haven't really officially worked at the weekend I mean occasionally I go and do a course like a lecture on a course or something yeah. but not regularly and so I really dedicated my weekends to not I'm not going to pick up work not until Sunday evening just, just um, keep it yeah go off and do things so is it yeah. you're doing dodgeball is that is that right Yes, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed dodgeball until I broke my fingers uh, doing it. Uh, that That's wasn't dangerous. exactly the best <laughs> for, my, for my clinical work at the time. And then ended, and then just yeah, so yeah, that's that's quite useful. You're trying to teach yourself languages. I think you mentioned that to me once as well. So what's yeah. going on there? Um, so yeah, I've always I've always been someone to like yeah. Well, I feel so ashamed that I don't speak any other language apart from English. And then when yeah. you speak to a non-English speaker, they're like, oh, it's fine, speak English. You don't need to speak anything else. Uh, but I really, really want to be able to speak something else. But I never get beyond like first beginner course of like a, uh, did Mandarin. So I guess that's not the easiest left you know language to just pick up. Straight, um, straight in the deep end there. Exactly, like learning like three languages at once. Um, but I really like Asia, and I've been, you know, traveling for my boyfriend to Hong Kong. So um, I was really like motivated that period of time to to learn it. But when you don't practice it, you just go through your head really quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but and then I did a British Sign Language course, which I really enjoyed, and I actually do use some of that sometimes when I see some of my patients. Um, that's, that's but possible, not, yeah. not to say that some of when the I see the to be a British sign language interpreter is really really hard, um, and you can see why like they're just so quick and I'm like hang on slow down I can barely just spell the name. Yeah, <laughs> it's so useful, so useful. People appreciate it when you try and communicate that way. Yeah. So, what's your kind of plan going forward for the future within the profession? Like, well, where do you see yourself in maybe five years and then ten years? Um, well, hopefully I'll pass my specialist exams. <laughs> uh, so I've still got at least another two years of my uh, special care registrar training to go. Um, so and I always see, always see myself as not kind of doing the same job five days a week. I think I'd get very bored very quickly if I did that. Um, so like for the past year, I'm basically somewhere different every day, um, which I really like at the moment. Maybe when I have a family, that might be so might not be so practical. Mm. Um, but um, so as a special care dentist, you know, a lot, while I work in hospital now, a lot of specialties is delivered in the community. So yeah. I might see myself you know, split time between community and hospital. Um, one of my big career goals, really, I'd love to do is, um, and I'm probably trying to do, set up a social enterprise so I can run a service myself. Um, because I can see how, like, it's such an area of need for the patients that I see. Yeah. People who are homeless, people who are vulnerable migrants or um, travellers. Like, there's literally nothing out there, or very little services out it's there. quite a growing um, population as well of people who are unable to kind of reach care efficiently as well exactly and they present really really late mm. and you know outcomes are much much worse for the groups of patients that really need specific service for them and the rhetoric is oh these patients have no special care need they can go see a general dental dentist but there's so many barriers there for them um, and and the stigma around for them and general dentists actually 
probably aren't the best place for the majority of these patients. On general dentists, you you, you get a DNA, you don't get paid. Um, You've got the practice to run. Um, They're so um, chaotic with the way that they approach things. They don't fit into what the rest of your patient cohort is. So um, you may not have the skills or confidence to treat them. Um, and it might not be financially viable if you treat these patients. So I think having that specific understanding and trust in a service that's specifically designed for them, whatever the whatever the population might be, um, it's something that really needs really to be targeted, and that's something I really want to champion. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of get involved with like dental leadership a little bit, haven't you? Just to kind of push things out there, and obviously you're doing the tooth gym. So what? How does that all tie in? <laughs> The the Tooth Gym is a a blog that I set up like five years ago now, Um, and it's just basically a hobby. It's one of my other hobbies, but I guess it is dentistry related, so I can't really count that as a real hobby, (laughs) but it still works. Kind of like me in this, so I suppose, yeah. (laughs) Um, But... Um, so that's just uh, documents to like kind of how my journey throughout my career, um, the things I've done, um, I've learned along the way, um, and it's there really to kind of raise a platform for different careers as well, to yeah. think more people who want to develop their careers. I mean, I'm doing my fellowship at the moment with the Office of the Chief Dental Officer, and the amount of queries I get about how did you even find out about this, what, how, how can you work from home, you're a dentist, uh, things like that. Um, it's, it's something that is it's more and more prominent and more popular. People want kind of portfolio working or alternative ways of working rather than just working in the practice nine to five in yeah. the last ten years becoming a partner and then after ten years becoming practice principal. Like that is not the career pathway for young graduates nowadays who want a portfolio of things, want to cut fingers and different pies. Right, variety, um, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's um what a tutor really um, has become, a kind of platform for that. Um, and it in kind of instill that alternative way of thinking and, and find um, alternative career pathways or um, innovative business ideas to go with dentistry. Dentistry is not just healthcare. It's you know, in a lot of places, times you know it's testing practice. It's really it's really business and ultimately yeah. the NHS is a business and so we need to be able to think like business people in a way that if you're running something, it needs to be cost efficient. Yeah, because I think that's definitely something we you kind of notice. You you say no, there's a lot of things which we would like to do. Maybe patients might benefit from, but you only get paid a certain amount for doing something. Whatever mm-hmm. that course of treatment, you get a certain amount, and then if you're going way over it, you're going to be out of business within within weeks almost, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, we all like to be altruistic, but it's got to a point, yeah. you know, a point where you need to think of business person. Yeah, so um, so you, you're planning on kind of moving into more kind of different little bits of things. Have you ever thought about teaching? Is that something that's on the radar at all? Possibly. I mean, I do do some teaching already, um, and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so I, I teach on dental courses to help people with national recruitment. Um, I supervise dentists and dental undergraduates at King's um, occasionally, and um, our dental core trainees as well, and it's really fun um it makes you uh, like question your own clinical thinking sometimes when you're saying okay this is what I would do and it's like actually someone's gonna ask me why I do that so I need to think about what my clinical justification is rather than just my gut feeling or what I know works like how do I know that actually works or okay I'm gonna teach someone how to cannulate okay why am I doing this 
then rather than it, it makes you it stops you from being on that autopilot all the time yeah and sometimes slightly differently um yeah i really enjoy teaching so you never know might get a might be an education supervisor one day but uh yeah you know you never know what happens i, I i'm you know you asked me five years ago i'd be like yeah i'll be in a practice working in a practice and then what am i doing nine to five and then that's it yeah go home um <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's pretty much most of the questions I had kind of in, in mind. Uh, we had a couple of little fun ones towards the end. So I was going to ask people what their pet peeve is, whether that's dentally related or kind of just in general life. Uh, pet peeve. My pet peeve is um, when patients decide to suddenly go, yeah, I've got this pet I'll over her, her, yeah. Uh, and then they go and touch the rest of your surgery. Mm. I think like that, that really annoys me. Uh, you like we had a lovely clean surgery, and then now you're just sticking your own fingers in your mouth and then putting it over. I think we're kind of that was very practice me. Like I used to be very like, if you do that in my surgery, here's some hand gel. Uh, and but with my surgical care patients now, I was like, well, you know, it's, you're never going to change that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get the, the couple who are like, oh, can I have a rinse? And then they, they lean kind of halfway over and just drop it over the side and it's all on the floor and you look at the nurse they're just going I have to clean that up and that horrible yeah. kind of face going uh the next one was what's your favorite conspiracy theory <laughs> um maybe uh, I mean uh I was talking about something the other day maybe like, like the moon landings weren't didn't really happen we we're talking about that like how much money gets sunk in, into like space uh, and try and get, you know, there's another exhibition to the moon soon that's going to cost like $15 billion. Um, but imagine, like, if all the moon landings, everything was just all a conspiracy and it was all just in our studios and there. Um, and what's that money actually being spent on? Probably just someone's holidays, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, no, thanks for coming on. I think that's been really good and quite insightful. I hope you guys in the, uh, the live have kind of picked up on some of the things that Nat's been doing and definitely check it out tooth germ the links in your bio isn't it yeah. um yeah. yeah thanks guys for joining us if you've been live uh, if you're going to be watching back on youtube then get us in for the next uh, get in for the next live on instagram we have got one quick question from steph ib what are the difference in advantages in working in a hospital versus a private clinic do you think um so a hospital you you don't really think about targets in the same way I don't think uh, you might have some targets that are set with you that you have to have so many patients on their list but your patient whatever they present with uh, yeah. they need 10 crowns or they need one filling you know you're just going to do it whereas if you're in a private clinic you've got the associated costs of uh, you know all the equipment and if you're self-employed yeah. I think that's something you'd be more concerned about yeah, thinking about your life um, yeah. exactly um also, in hospital, you might feel more confident doing certain treatments. Um, I certainly would do things a bit more out there in a hospital than I would do in my clinic because I know yeah. I have support there, um, whether that be medical support or consultant support um, or just support of having clinical staff around you in a hospital. And one, one uh, hospital I work with, you can be in a clinic with 20 other dentists and you're like, yeah. well, I need a second opinion or something. You know, I've got so many people to ask. Whereas if you're working in a practice maybe by yourself or only with one of the dentist or just with a hygienist or a therapist or something, you know your your decision is final um, or yeah. your skill is final. So if you start doing that extraction, you can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in a clinic where you know you've got support, you might be able to take on things that you might not. Bit of a safety net there, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah.
All right, brilliant. I think I think we'll call it a day there. I think we've had a a good old chat. Uh, everything yeah. that we kind of wanted to go through, we've gone through all the special care stuff, homeless, not so much on the commissioning, but it kind of all tied in and gone through yeah. a bit of you and you and what you're about as a person as well. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, definitely following that on Instagram. Get into the Tooth Gym. There's loads of articles on there that she's popped on, just saying what she's been up to. Um, anything else you want to plug while you're on? <laughs> no, that's fine. But if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Um, yeah. Or you want to reach out with me, I'm, I'm, you know, so very, very open and friendly smiley face. So yeah, um, please feel free to connect. Yeah. So I think I have to say like, comment, subscribe for those guys on YouTube, which is going to be new for me. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider joining the Densivista Premium server on Patreon. Uh, there are a number of great benefits, and I hope to see you on there soon. And thank you for watching the channel, and make sure to tune in next time. Thank you.